and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your healthcare providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right. presents a special program celebrating Black History Month this Friday, right after the noon news to 1.30. Featured will be selections performed by Odetta, Rhiannon Giddens, Paul Robeson, and lots more. Music will range from the blues to music from the civil rights movement and everything in between, only on KBU this Friday, right after the noon news. We shall Emma and I use she and her pronouns. And tonight is our annual trans positive sex, love, and dating show. This is the seventh year we've done the show. And um, every year we have on a multiple multitude of guests. Um, this year we have a really great lineup. And I just like to go go around and introduce everyone, starting with Ray. Hi, I'm Ray. I use they them pronouns. I am a white, trans, queer, pansexual non-binary AFAB person and I'm consensually non-monogamous currently living a solo poly lifestyle. Thank you so much. Um, next I'd like to introduce Nicolette and Hi I'm Nicolette. I use they them AM or Fayfair pronouns. Uh, I'm here as a regular host of Trans Positive and I'm a non-binary and queer and polyamorous person. Here's one of my partners. Hun go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi I'm Saya. I go 
I use she, her pronouns, and I am a little distracted this evening. Great. Thank you, Saya. And um, the last person I'd like to introduce is Sheila. Sheila, welcome to Transpositive. Hi. Um, my name is Sheila, and uh, she and her pronouns are fine for me also. Great. Would you like to say anything else about yourself, Sheila? Oh, I'm a writer. Um, I'm a coastie. I live on the, the Oregon coast most of the time. And um, I have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things, and I'm just going to kind of wing it tonight with regard to uh, love, sex, and uh, and gender. Um, probably more general comments rather than personal. And that's about all I have for now. Great. Thank you so much. And my name is Emma. I use she and her pronouns. Um, I am... I don't know what to... I don't know how to describe myself. Um, probably milk toast is a good way to describe myself. I'm married. Uh, I have a wonderful relationship with my partner. Um, it's really positive, very affirming relationship. And, um, uh, you know, I just, I love and affirm transgender bodies. And so I'm here tonight, along with all of these wonderful guests, to talk about sex, love, and dating from an affirmative transgender, non-binary person's perspective. So welcome, everyone. How's everybody doing tonight? Excited to be here. Pretty good. Cool. Well, why don't we start with you, Ray? I'd, I'd love to talk to you first a little bit um, and kind of learn a little bit more about you and um, maybe have you share some of your story of, you know, being trans and being in the world as somebody who's dating or engaged with other people as a person with the kind of body that you have. Um, would you care to share anything about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think everybody's story is really different. So I was about to say mine is different from others, but then how couldn't really say that. Uh, I'm someone who lived as a cishet monogamous woman for most of my adult life until my mid thirties, I was in a, in an 18 year monogamous relationship with a cis man. And most of it was really pleasant and wonderful and a really, really good relationship. But I hit a whole lot of, um, I hit like a burnout breakdown era in my early thirties that required that I really look a lot closer at myself. And through that process, definitely discovered or rediscovered some things about myself that I had long buried. And so I came out as trans and non-binary and queer at age 36. And my marriage did end not too long after that. Um, not entirely related, but it was a big piece of it. And so I took some time after that to really be with myself but for the last several years i've had a really good time finally getting to do the queer dating that i didn't get to do when i was younger essentially um yeah so it's it, i've been having a lot of fun and <laughs> really wonderful that's people great. In Portland. that's great that's a wonderful thing so that's <clears throat> a good starting point and we'll get back to you in just a minute ray i want to make sure to get everybody in first um nicolette and um Nicolette and your partner, would you like to share a little bit about your story? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, to share my side, um, you know, I, I'm non-binary. Um, I identify as omnisexual and I'm also polyamorous. Um, yeah, Saya here is one of my partners and she's a trans woman. I also have another partner who is non-binary. They're not on the show tonight. Um, and I mean, largely my experience with dating has been with mostly cis people, especially cis men, just because that's, you know, largely what's been available for me in the dating pool. And I've had so, some not so great experiences with dating cis people. And I've, I guess, come to a point in my life where I feel more comfortable dating other trans people for the most part. And now I've got two partners who are also trans and that makes me feel so much more comfortable because I feel like they really understand me. And the funny thing with me and Saya here is when we first started dating like 12 years ago, um, neither of us were out as trans yet. We were both out as queer, but we weren't out about our genders yet. And it wasn't until a few years into our relationship 
that I learned the word non-binary, which I kind of always knew that I was, but because I didn't know the word for it, I couldn't tell anyone. And so when I told Saya that I was non-binary, that's when she told me that she was trans and also I just never told anybody. So it was just kind of funny that we both turned out to be trans and we didn't even know for the first few years of our relationship. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to say? Uh, yeah, it's definitely been a unique experience um, finding myself with someone else who also was just discovering themselves. I I think my original awakening moment was around the age of nine. Uh, I, uh, I saw something on TV. It was some sort of special about uh, an AFAB child, or a MAB child, excuse me, um, who just, from the moment they were conscience, conscious and aware, they, uh, they knew that they were a girl, they believed that they were a girl, and they identified with girl things, and that resonated with me, but um, a lot of life led me to repress that and bury it for some time. Uh, but yeah, um, being around Nico's journey just kind of triggered me to start exploring as well. I, I confided in Nico and started coming out from there. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's a great that lets our listeners know a little bit about your stories too. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Um, how about you? How about you, uh, Sheila? Do you want to share anything more about your story? Um, you know, an old transgender beauty queen like yourself, you must have lots of interesting mm. stories to share or interesting well, writing that I you've think done. That, well, I think that my experience has been conditioned by the era that I came out of. Um, I think that the opportunities that were there were, were had, had I acted upon them, I probably wouldn't be here. Like I was down in San Francisco in 1980, and that was one year before the first AIDS cases were popping up in the, um, in the medical literature. And had I uh, found my way at that particular time, at the age I was, um, it would have been uh, a, perhaps a disaster for me. And so, um, and I worked in the East, you know, when I was um, younger in my 20s, and it was in a uh, an industrial setting where by the time I got home at night, the idea of going out uh, on a cold winter night to try to uh, do anything in a bar or anything else was just, I was just content to just stay warm. And, and now, and near... Um, the past three years with with regard to suddenly having COVID hit upon us and everything is all isolated. Um, that, that has not left much room. And the idea of kind of industrial dating um, by basically going out on some chat line or something doesn't, doesn't really appeal to me because I still have kind of romantic notions about the primal special other. And my special others have always been uh, kind of... A, long-term persecutory <laughs> i'm more a sample of what you do not want to do on on <laughs> valentine's day than i am you know i'm i'm like they say well what is your, your sex for love life i say mm-hmm. so that's uh that's what i would actually have to share um yeah i would say that my experience though is valuable for others because the first thing i'd tell people is to say don't fall in love with people who are who are mean to you and unfortunately mm-hmm. I think a lot of our community does exactly that. We're so, we go through long, desolate periods when there's nobody there. And then when somebody shows up, we just, we just, it's like a, a starving person or a person that's been wandering in the desert and we expect too much too fast. And sometimes we're just so grateful to have anybody that we're willing to stick, stick through things where a lot of other people would have recognized that their dignity was being tromped on and they would have said goodbye. That's a great point, Sheila. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's definitely going to be something that we're going to return back to is talking about easy it is to be manipulated, especially for some kinds of trans people who are just really wanting to have a in-depth, affectionate relationship and how, how sometimes we can become victims of, you know, predatory or abusive 
relationships. So that's a, that's a great point. Um, I'll share a little bit about my story too. Um, again, you know, my name's Emma. I've, I've been married for um, over 10 years now. I've been in the same relationship with one person for about 20 years. And I think I have a pretty traditional kind of story for a trans woman, um, you know, who's, who's still married. Um, I met my partner uh, before I transitioned and we had been together for a number of years. And um, I mean, I'd known I was transgender my whole life. I'd known I was, I was really little, um, five years old probably, but I didn't actually act on it until I was, um, I mean, really actually take concrete steps until I was in my thirties. And I started to transition like without even consulting my partner about it. It was just something that I just had to do so badly. And I started, you know, taking hormones and, you know, where uh, dressing where I could and just, you know, really, I mean, I was just really desperate. I mean, I, I was, I, I, I was, I lost like tons of weight because I was obsessed with my figure and I just, I needed to come out. And of course the first person I did come out to was my, was my partner and my partner was uh, just a real, just really wonderful. I mean, um, my my background is that, you know, even before I was with my partner, I mean, I was pretty, I pretty much hung out on the fringes of the, of the queer community. And I mean, I was very comfortable in pansexual and poly spaces. I spent a lot of time hanging out with pansexual poly people. Um, I've spent most of my adult life around sex positive people. So I don't have any really issues around that. I know that I'm not the only transgender person who's been, who transitions in a relationship with a monogamous person. And when you're in a relationship with a monogamous person, you transition, it creates kind of a unique set of issues. Like the first thing you have to ask yourself is like, well, are we gay now? Are we lesbians now? Well, you know, what does, what does that mean? What is, what does intimacy mean? Uh, what kind of a relationship do we have now? How do we see each other? It's been a real learning curve, and um, it's mostly been really positive. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I mean, my partner was there for me throughout my entire transition and completely supportive of me. And so, I mean, I'm really happy. I'm happy with our life. Um, I mean, I, I am Polly, but anyways, that's a little bit about my story. Um, but I do have lots to get into with everybody's story. And so we're going to go back to Ray. Um, so Ray, I'd like to ask you a few questions about some of the things you told us, um, just so yeah. people kind of understand um, in the bigger picture, what is consensual non-monogamy? That's a really good question. Um, some people use the term ethical non-monogamy, uh, but it basically means that you are open to, or even currently having more than one either sexual or romantic relationship with everyone aware of the situation, everyone aware of one another and consenting to that arrangement. How do you do that kind of dating and avoid the pitfalls of jealousy? <laughs> um, I'm not sure it's possible to avoid the pitfalls entirely, but uh, I think it's something that has to be navigated with each person. I know that I myself have my own jealousy triggers that come up. Um, it's something that really ultimately each of us is responsible for our own feelings. And if we're feeling jealous, there are things that we can request from other people that might help us feel better, but ultimately it's our job to take care of it. So it's it takes a lot of emotional awareness and self-reflection and communication with your partner or partners, but it's something to that I'm definitely trying to navigate in pretty much any connection on one side or the other. What kind of people do you date, Ray? Oh, I am pretty open right now. Um, mostly trans folks, but I do date cis folks too. And I have a special weakness for cis women, which is kind of a problem. Yeah, uh, I, have, I also have not been dating any cis men um, for quite some time, but I'm open to all the any other gender. Uh, most of the folks that I see are some shade of pansexual, queer, bisexual. Uh, I tried 
a couple dates with straight folks didn't work. <laughs> I do sometimes, I will occasionally go on dates with folks who identify as lesbian, tends to take a little extra conversation to make sure that I will feel affirmed as a non-binary person within that connection. But yeah, if someone's open to me, then it doesn't really matter to me what their sexual sexuality label is. That's great. How did you like, did, I mean, were you just born that way? Were you born with that kind of openness and that kind of acceptance? <laughs> or was that something that you had to kind of learn, uncondition yourself from? Uh, it's something that I had to let out of myself to let it exist and breathe. Um, I spent most of my teenage years and early adult years really ignoring any attraction to anyone other than cis men. So I really closed myself off to any other options besides cis men. And then I got into a relationship with a cis man and I was happy in that relationship, didn't feel a need to look anywhere else. So it's really been since the divorce, which was five years ago now, um, that I have been able to allow that part of myself to come out. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Nicolette um, and Sai, what about, like, can you tell us a little bit about how did you, when you both realized that you were like non-binary or trans, how did that affect your relationship? Like what kinds of conversations did you have? What did you have to negotiate around intimacy? Did did anything change? Do you want to go first? Uh, Saya here. Well, for me, uh, uh, I, I don't feel a lot changed for us inter intersocially um but i think personally um i i had a bit of trouble uh with physical dysphoria after a while it it made it, it made me struggle a bit in the bedroom to be honest uh but beyond that um honestly it was a really wholesome experience it it was something really unique yeah, I would say, I mean, really just the biggest change we had to go through was learning how to address each other now, how to change the pronouns we use to refer to each other and such. I mean, a lot of just transitioning felt very natural to us. We had no trouble seeing each other for who we were. And, you know, we both gradually just kind of came into ourselves and learned to accept ourselves for who we were. So we had no trouble accepting each other. Um, and yeah, I mean intimacy was somewhat affected in that we now had to learn um, how we felt comfortable using our bodies now that we were aware of our gender dysphoria and we found ways to work around that and found ways to accept that you know maybe sex and intimacy doesn't have to be the same as it's expected to be for like a heteronormative heterosexual couple uh, and that's okay you know we can make it work for us Thank you. <clears throat> Sheila, I'm going to ask you a question that I think you, you may or may not have um, an answer for, but I, I think that you probably do. Uh, so my question for you, Sheila, is how do you deal with or what are your thoughts about trans women's bodies being treated as a fetish? I mean, I think that there's, I think that we both know, Sheila, mm -hmm. you and I, we both know that there's kind of a subculture of men who are really interested in pre-op trans women. There's just, there's something about a pre-op trans woman that is really attractive to a certain kind of man. And those kinds of trans women are considered to be much more valuable than post-op trans women. And they're also just considered to be in some ways like this weird definition of what a trans can you talk at all about that, Sheila? Like, what is it? I mean, why why are mm. some trans women's bodies fetishized in that way? And what does that say about how people read us? Well, it's it's so common. Um, it's so common that some people some people like the idea that there's two sexes mixed in one body and they find that attractive. But I think that a lot of times it's also that we're seen as stepping stones to people that aren't sure if they're gay. And they and uh, I ran into that once in my in-between years, which was when I was most out there. And, and uh, I was kind of like a little 
uh, um, in the town I was from, I was kind of like, um, I, I was well known. I was, I was out fighting for, for rights before people were talking about fighting for rights. And, and I ran into a married couple one time that, that I didn't realize that what they, until they wanted to basically draft me into a, a kind of a, a thing where I would be mostly for the husband that the wife would watch. And I didn't even, I was so naive. I didn't even realize what was going on. And, and I, once I understood what they wanted, I explained that I wasn't there as a public utility. Um, you know, um, I said, I'm, I'm not on the state payroll to help people deal with their own sexual issues. And, and so that, that went like nowhere and that was where it should have gone. And, um, the thing I wanted to touch also is that living the way I did and out before a lot of people were out, I got a chance to see all sides of our community at a very, very vital period when AIDS was just coming out. Uh, I watched a lot of people get sick and, and gradually wither away before my eyes. And it didn't take long for me to see that, to realize that I didn't want to to um, have the same thing. So the idea of a time when sexual experimentation would be permissible, even physically, let alone emotionally and maybe morally, I never came on that period. I, as I can say, it's like, it's like every time something was possible for me, there was something historically that would have made it very hard for me. And I'm raised in a Roman Catholic background. And, but I, what I'm saying is that it's almost impossible for me to take all those overlays, religious, historical, and then just the pure um, where I was living, what job I had, could I afford to have children, for instance, um, when, you know, you know, many trans people uh, do not make the kind of money that it takes to support a family. So, so many things that are life possibilities, in all honesty, as I look back on it, I say they, they really weren't possibilities for, for you, talking, to, speaking to myself as my own advisor. Um, but what I did instead is I put a lot of emphasis on friendship, and I'm not sure that that is more my orientation. I don't like things. I, I love the idea of intimacy in that I love having my friends where I can talk at every possible level, but I don't think I can get enough from one person to take enough that I, I'm kind of like a bee. I'm go from flower to flower to flower. I'm, or I'm like Blanche Dubois and say, I'm always dependent on the kindness of strangers, you know, cause I kind of am. And I actually gained a lot by that. In fact, a lot of people uh, have come to me almost like a counselor. I find myself come, people tell me their whole lives. And um, it's, it's almost like I was the universal ear. I could, I could understand both sides of every equation. And I think they saw me as being so open because I was and still am that they took advantage of that. That it was so. I have this kind of feeling like I can almost connect immediately with almost anybody at any time. But but I still like the idea of being able to come home alone and say, my space. I don't have to deal with anybody's stuff today. Um, I can just be cozy. And then writers, we spend all our time reading and writing. There's no lot of time for just life. Mm. And now as I'm getting older, I'm starting to wonder, did I miss out on some essential thing that I've just read about rather than lived? But I think, I think that there isn't time for everything. You know, you really have to sacrifice something somewhere. The idea of a completely perfect life um, that has absolutely everything, I'm starting to think, no, that's not really so. You have to make decisions. You have to make choices. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. Thank you. So I'll say a little bit about my experience, too. Um, so for me, my experience um, with intimacy and with, like, physicality, for me, it's really rooted, like, like for me, I'm a really firm believer in the rights of all transgender people to be able to access their pleasure. However, your body feels pleasure. So I feel very strongly 
about transgender people being able to really thoroughly learn how to access their pleasure, how to experience physical pleasure and physical intimacy with other people, and to really celebrate it. I mean, that's part of why I do this show. Um, recently, I restarted a group on Facebook called Transgender Sex Talk, and it's a place for people to just have really frank and open conversations about intimacy and sexuality. And I tried to start that about 10 years ago, and then I got kind of overwhelmed by transition at the time, and I didn't go as far into it as I want to. But I mean, for me, I, I feel like one of the things I've noticed about transgender people is that when we transition, we get a lot of affirmative statements about socially transitioning. And so there's lots and lots of information in mainstream culture about, you know, it's it's perfectly acceptable in some spaces to be like, you, you know, like this person used to be a boy and now they're a girl and we celebrate that. Or this person is non-binary and we celebrate that. Or this person is transmasculine and we celebrate that. And we even like make sure that kids have access to really vital life-saving, you know, treatments, medical treatments that are necessary and that really, you know, help them out so much with their lives when they're able to transition at a young age. But there's so little talk in our society in a more broad kind of general space about our transgender bodies being sexual expressions of pleasure, about our transgender bodies as being fully deserving of pleasure and of love and of intimacy. Like our transgender bodies are treated like they're treated like maybe they're a fetish uh, or they're treated like something that's kind of unspeakable. I mean, you don't talk about how trans women have orgasms. You know, you just don't talk about that. And it's like, even within the trans community, I feel like we don't have enough conversations about that. And it's like, I feel like, you know, everyone has the right to an orgasm. An orgasm is an act of liberation. I mean, that's really what I believe. It's a, an or, I remember, and Evan, you remember this, Nicolette, in like our very first year that we did this show, we had somebody on the show who said that, you know, an orgasm is a, an act of revolutionary joy or something. Do you remember that, Nicolette? Yeah, yeah. I remember what you're talking about. Wasn't that yeah. called Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about orgasms. I mean, and I, so I'm, I'm post-op. Post-op means that I was born assigned male at birth. Um, you know, I, I realized about when I was about five that I was transgender. Um, it took me another 30 year, 30, 35 years to finally come totally out and be like, I am really transgender. I'm doing this. And for me, I'm going all the way. Like for me, going all the way meant, you know, having surgery. And I had surgery six or seven years ago. And when I had surgery, like nobody explained anything to me about how my body works after surgery. They're just like, and there, there's no discussion about it. There isn't any, like, even when I look on Facebook today, I mean, there isn't any really like, like just open, frank conversations about trans women's sexuality. And, you know, I mean, and trans women includes all women. It includes women with penises. It includes women who have vaginas. It includes women who have all different kinds of bodies. But for me, I was a woman. I became a trans woman who had a vagina and a clitoris. But nobody taught me anything about how to access my pleasure. And so I had to, like, learn all of that, you know, just through discovery and through experimentation. And I learned all about how to use sex toys. I learned all about visualization. I mean, I learned a lot about how to really get in touch with my body now that I had a vagina and a clitoris. And it was great. I mean, I've just discovered so many wonderful things. And I remember the first time I had an orgasm after my surgery, which was it took me about six months after I had my surgery to have an orgasm. And I had to learn how to do it all over again. And now I, I don't want any trans woman to ever not be able to learn how to have an orgasm. I don't want any trans woman who's pre-op to be, you know, like to feel like that part of their body is something that they just can't really feel a connection with anymore. Because 
a trans woman with a penis is just as much of a woman as a trans woman with a neo-vagina that's been reconstructed. I mean, all of these different kinds of bodies are completely legitimate bodies. A trans man who's had a phalloplasty, you know, a trans man who's on hormones, like all of these different kinds of bodies that we have as transgender people have a whole set of implications that go with those bodies. And what what I'm here tonight to do with all of you is to celebrate all of our different kinds of stories as transgender people, as non-binary people, as asexual people, you know, to really celebrate the kind of bodies that we have and to just have frank and open conversations about what has what is sex like for us? What is dating like for us? What does it mean to be asexual, you know, in a world where people maybe don't um, except your transgender body. So that's kind of, that's, that's, that was my starting point. And that's always what I'm hoping to get to when we do these shows. So I'd like to go back to Ray. Ray, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your life? Like how, how do you address some of these issues? Like when you came out as non-binary, did anything change about how you had that? No, I'm really glad you asked that question. Um, especially right after what you just shared with us, because I think that for me and not all, but a lot of trans folks, sex can be a really big piece of coming out as trans and really even realizing for yourself that you could be trans. Um, In my case, I really started exploring the gender side of myself first. I was always aware of these gender feelings, but didn't feel like a trans man. and then heard the word non-binary for the first time in 2015. And I knew I was non-binary from the moment I heard the word, Um, but it still, I didn't realize at the time that like people use they, them pronouns and you can do medical transition and things like that as a non-binary person. Um, But I started kind of letting the more masked side of myself come out a little bit more just in the ways that I dressed, the ways that I moved, the ways that I styled my hair without really even telling anybody what I was doing, just like exploring it. And the more I started letting that (coughs) trans side of myself come out, the more I started remembering various feelings of sexuality that I had long buried And so it was like kind of a couple years after I really tentatively started exploring gender and before I even really had told many people or felt comfortable and confident in any sort of labels that I was like, oh, this is actually very tied to sexuality for me. This is a big piece of whatever it is for me, the the gender and the transness and the sexuality are very linked. So um, it's kind of, it's kind of awkward to describe, but I basically realized like to some extent, the kind of sex that I was having in that marriage was the kind of sex that I like, but that I most often would prefer it flipped. (laughs) (laughs) If that makes sense. Mm So um, yeah, and I, as I started thinking about Mm. that part of myself, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So for me, I don't feel, I'm not someone who feels really mask all the time. I really am a very non-binary person. I've got a bit of femme, I've got a bit of mask, and I got a lot of something else. Um, But sex is one way that I can feel really affirmed in my masculinity. And not all the time, like there are several different kinds of ways that I have sex, but it is one way that my transness can feel most affirmed and that I can feel most joy as a trans person is when I'm having sex, which is just really fun. Mm-hmm. It totally is. Yes. Sex is lots of fun. Um, Nicolette and, uh, and Sai, uh, what about you? Do you have any thoughts to share on what we've been talking about so far? Yeah. Um, so I can at least share some of mine. Um, and then I'll see if Sai wants to share anything. I know in my case, um, one of the things I noticed after I came out was Um, I found that what had been basically expected of me when I was parading myself as a cis girl um, was that I was basically expected to be submissive, to be breedable, and to be only interested in 
sex where I was being penetrated. And I, I realized after coming out that I didn't have to conform to those expectations anymore. It was okay for me to be the one doing the penetration, which I've, I've discovered I like both. I like being penetrated and I like doing the penetrating. Um, and I, I realized that I do not have to be pregnant or want to be pregnant. Um, and that's actually something that um, I, I've sort of transitioned in a way. Uh, last December, uh, I had my fallopian tubes removed. There were multiple reasons why I did that. But part of it was because with, of my gender dysphoria. You know, I, I felt dysphoria at the very thought of getting pregnant. And now that I'm not able to get pregnant anymore, I find that I feel so much more comfortable in so many ways, including that sex feels more comfortable for me now because I'm not afraid of getting pregnant. Um, and I also find that, you know, I don't have to be submissive. I can be dominant in a relationship and I like that. Um, so, I mean, those are just some things I've noticed since coming out, but um, Saya, do you have anything you want to share? Um, no, I don't feel like I have anything to contribute at the moment. Uh, excellent points are being made here all around. It's just fun to be at the table. Sheila, I'd like to ask you about transgender characters in literature and art. How is our sexuality portrayed in writing? Are, are we are we fully validated as trans people in in the world of literature? As as a writer, I know that this is something you have thought a lot about. You've written about this in some of your books. Can you talk about? Mm -hmm. How, how we are portrayed in literature and how our sexuality is portrayed in literature. Well, it's interesting because I don't know, um, except for um, there, there has been more gay lit than there's been transgender lit in terms of novels. Um, when I wrote my, my trans book, which is a big one, 400 pages, that I was able to do it in little short essays that just explained all the different encounters and things that I had with with fundamental subject matter that comes up for all of us. And so in some ways I thought I my image at the time was I was going to write essays that would be like a 45 record from the old days when they had 45 records, which you'd have a favorite song and you'd play it over and over and over again. I wanted to have essays that would be poetic and so heart-stoppingly true that people would say, I have to live this again. I have to read this essay again. And and um, developing that particular, particular genre, I thought was really cool. And then when I wrote my book of short stories recently, I found I had a lot of transgender characters in there, and and I I'd like to uh, say something about me personally again is that um, in some ways what I see is that I'm not just one person. I I don't think I have multiple personality disorder or anything like that, but I think that my way of dealing with things is to put things into little cubicles where I always have an escape valve and. Um, in my day, the idea of of being uh, um, non-binary that was forced upon us. We were non-binary by choice because there were theaters of operations in life where we could not be or, or even talk about who how we felt. Um, but I've done a lot of thinking about love and sex and intimacy, and um, dealing with them sequentially. I think that. Everybody probably has a couple of primal uh, sexual patterns that are just wired through to get us to uh, uh, sexual pleasure that I was hearing, um, you know, from Christina. And I think that 
I think that that's something that's just kind of part of us. And what we see in our heads are not necessarily something we would want to do in in reality. Like <laughs> I, I'm definitely a bottom in my mind, but but in terms of my own training is that. I tend to be a dominant person on almost any relationship. I have to, I have to know what's going on. I have to be, I feel like I have to be in control. So what would work for me sexually would not work for me in real life. So um, sometimes I deal with that by, by creating some little fictional me that would be able to do that, um, you know, and, and most of that's just to make my friends laugh, you know, and like mm-hmm. I used to tease Christina, she'd tell her, tell me some of her things and I'd say, now let's say, but what was our love map? Everybody also has, if they have a sex map, they have a love map. And that's the kind of all fulfilling, deeply personal, meaningful thing that we're all kind of I think at some level looking for someone who mirrors us, someone who understands us, somebody that we can have a reciprocal thing uh, with them in, in, in another way. And then there's also the question of who do you just like to spend time with? There are people that are fantastic for intimacy, but they're not somebody that you can spend with every single day. And you you want to have your friendship network that fulfills the parts of you that are more fragmented. And that's why I brought up this multiple thing is that that we function at different levels. Um, We also, I think, fully incorporate within ourselves our lots of stuff that's left over from when we were children. What were we looking for in a parent? What we what was our idea of an early romantic relationship that didn't have the complexities of sex involved? Um, and and some parts of us, I think, would like to go back to that primal innocence and redo it. Or if we had a traumatic thing, to say, is there a way to go back and do it this time so it doesn't hurt so bad, or that we can work through the leftover stuff? Um, those are the kinds of things that that we would like. Um, different personas. What I'm saying is that I dramatize in a humorous way what I'm trying to explain on a more intellectual plane of this idea that we're not just one person. And so when we speak about intimacy, sex, and love, as though you could get all those three things on a single track, I don't think a lot of times we can. And it's not just transgender people. It's it's everybody. But I think oh, one last thing, this is really huge. A lot of people use our sexuality assuming that that's all there is to us. And they use this to crucify us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important that we realize that it's not just individual people that 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 uh, fetishize us. An entire political movement exists right now that fetishizes <laughs> us. We are the essence of sexual problematic. We are, and they they mm-hmm. dump on they dump on us stuff that has nothing to do with us whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to realize that. So when we talk openly about sex, we have to be aware that sometimes that's playing into the hands of people that says, "Oh, oh see, totally. this is how they are." Mm-hmm. So well, I can't believe it. We've only got ten minutes left in the show. This has moved so fast. So the last, like, really in depth question I think I'm going to have to be able to ask. I'm going to ask each of you if you want to share it with me. And I kind of got the idea based on what I was just hearing Sheila say, which is like, what's a really good script for you? Like, if you think of something that just really turns you on, I mean, when you're like, when you're at that moment, when you're just really feeling good with somebody else, like, do you ever have a story or a script that's kind of going through your head? Does it change a lot? And what kind of like, what is your script? Do you have a script that you kind of go to when you're with someone or when you're even like even when you're just doing solo play that just really you know for you is really affirming i'll start with ray do you want to share anything about that i'm still thinking about it give me a moment to think okay we'll go to i'll go to nicolette and see if nicolette wants to share anything i mean this is a difficult (laughs) one for me to answer as an autistic person because i mean a lot of times I revolve around using scripts in my head in order to communicate with people. It's how I've learned how to communicate with people is like thinking of some sort of a script in my head 
to follow, you know, um, if this person says this, then I should say this. But the tricky thing that I've learned over my, my lifetime is things don't always go according to plan. And sometimes you just kind of got to improvise. Um, and so if you're asking like what I picture with um, someone um, who I have a connection with, you know, I picture somebody that I have a strong intellectual connection with, someone who makes me feel supported, validated, accepted, um, and just someone who really makes me feel like I matter. And I've definitely found that with my current partners right now. So, I mean, that's, I guess, what I need in order to feel loved. And when I feel that, then I'm able to have a strong connection with someone romantically and sexually. Does that answer your question? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a great answer. What about you, Sayo? Um, it's hard to really say. Um, for me, as far as um, learning how to deal with my dysphoria in the bedroom and um, engage with intimacy in new ways, uh, I, I feel um, becoming more open and exploring kink and fetish um, kind of helped a lot. I'm not super comfortable getting into which ones, but um, yeah, it, it's it took broadening our sexual horizons and redefining, uh, letting go of expectations and redefining uh, intimacy to really keep things moving for us and keep things fresh and interesting it was it became this phase of okay we're gonna explore um i i think i'm interested in this let's try this i've secretly been interested in this for a long time okay we'll give it and uh yeah it, it I, I think that's a lot of what kept me and uh kept me going in the bedroom in light of transness and dysphoria and all that stuff going on Thank you so much. So I'll share like for me personally, I mean, what really gets me turned on is like a really good, like when I talk about script, I mean, like, I know that for some people, what really turns them on is like an, an image, you know, like they might see an image of something that they find really attractive or, or when they see somebody there, there's something physical about the person that really draws them in like but for me what always draws me in is a really good story i mean i just love a good story it's like even if i'm watching like porn or reading erotica it's like if it's just a bunch of banging it's just not really my thing but if it's a really good story if it's something that i can connect with it's like i want to know like what's going to happen to that person what's going to happen next you know and even like with my own like personal life within my own world of intimacy like that's what really gets me turned on it's like a really good story i, I kind of want to know what's going to happen how's it going to happen you know and it's just i mean for me that's i've discovered that that's really how i feel connected and that doesn't mean that that's how it is for everyone i mean a lot of people are very visual i mean they like a visual thing they just they like to see something to experience it and that's it. Like, but for me, I just, I've got to have a good story. Otherwise there's just nothing to it for me. So I want to go back to uh, Sheila and to Ray, just give them a chance if they want to address this kind of area before we kind of get to our closing. Um, either one of you, Ray, do you? Yeah, sure. Wanna... I can, I can say something. Um, I mean, there's so many pieces of this to me. There's so many different ways to answer um there's absolutely an emotional component for me um similar to what nicolette was saying um when i can tell that someone really listens that they seem to be interested in more than just the fact that i'm trans or just any particular one aspect of to me but that they are actually able to really listen and adjust sometimes someone with healthy boundaries someone who's really who does seem affirming and doesn't, which in my case would mean not necessarily pigeonholing me in a very mask or very femme space, um, and has a certain tenderness, I would say, a certain sweetness to them that I find really alluring. Um, 
And honestly, I don't think that I go into, I, I am also an autistic person. And so it's complicated. I like knowing what's expected of me, especially in a sexual scenario, especially if it's early on. So in that sense, I kind of like having a script in terms of, okay, what do I think is going to happen here? Or like what, which of us is more toppy and which of us is more bottomy? Like I feel more secure going in with that, but that's like in the planning mental stages. Once I'm actually there, uh, I mean, anything could happen. So um, for me, it's about staying very connected with myself and with my body and what I'm feeling in the moment and letting that guide the situation. Um, and but the, and there are also just there are definitely certain terms and labels that I like or dislike when I'm getting sexy with somebody that can either help me to feel more or less dysphoric in the scenario or help me feel euphoric um, in the situation. So like, that, I guess there are a bunch of different ways I could use the word script to describe different aspects of it, if that makes sense. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Sheila, as our writer, you kind of have the last word. What is um, What is the romantic story for you? How do you connect? you know or do you connect in that way what are your thoughts about what you've heard well i've heard a lot and i i think that uh, this isn't speaking to anybody's testimonies tonight but one of the things that i'm convinced of is that although i think that a lot of the religious teachings on sex are derived from specific scriptural passages but there's also a certain wisdom to some of it because that just emerges out of the experience of humankind. I, I read, when I read Wuthering Heights, which I think is probably the most intense love story that has ever or ever will be written, I absolutely lived that book. I was, I was <laughs> Heathcliff. And, oh, it just, if, if, if anyone has not read that, they probably should read it because it just takes any other rosemary rogery kind of you know uh romance and just says <laughs> oh my you don't you don't even know and and i have a feeling that emily bronte um probably there was something in her i would have liked to have met her although it would have been scary mm. to be in a relationship with anyone who's that intense as she was mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. so sex can be dangerous it 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 touches, it can either be very prosaic and nothing at all, or it can have little tendrils into parts of us that can wound us in ways that nothing else can. And I think it's important to be aware of that. And even, even blunting, even blunting it so that it's, it's used mm -hmm. in purposes that we, we get so familiar with it. And, and that touches on the idea of sex and aging. What I tend to do lately mm -hmm. is I like look at people a lot, older people, younger people, everybody. And it's, and I don't ask myself what kind of sex they have. I just, I just notice that there aren't a lot of people that look like they came off of RuPaul's Drag Race or came off of the, the red carpet at the Oscars. There's not a lot of super <laughs> attractive people out there. And lately I've had a real weird attitude that there's, I'll turn on, I'll look at my Yahoo thing and I, everybody in the world seems to be doing every kind of, of, of uh, bikini shot they can. And I'm kind of like, I find myself, maybe I'm just too old now, but I'm getting kind of impatient with it because I look at it and I say, so I'm kind of like a post-sexual person. It's like I'm hmm. beginning to see through the fog of, passion and sexuality and organs and and I'm just seeing people now and just loving them just as people and just being grateful there are human beings in this world and how <laughs> every one of them has these beautiful souls and I'm it's like I'm finally emerging out of that that uh that rough water like if you take a nautical image if you if you suddenly get in the shelter or the lee of an island and and all that waves have been Kick, kicking you around all of a sudden it stops and you say oh my god this is so cool just to be level just to be able to see things clearly at once you know thing i can say i'm not i don't think anything age is not fun for anybody but when you get there there's also a certain sense of would you really like to go back into that that cauldron you know and i was like i don't think mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. well great sheila thank you so much thanks we've been joined You're tonight welcome. by 
We've been joined tonight by Ray, Nicolette, Sayo, Sheila, and myself. Um, this is the Transgender Sex, Love, and Dating Show. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us tonight and for sharing your stories. I just, I really appreciate it. And um, I think our listeners will really appreciate it too. Thank you, Emma. This was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, everyone. This was a great conversation. Yeah, glad to be here. Transgender people don't live here. I've never met anyone who's transgender. I swear I don't know someone who's transgender. Transgender and non-binary people like me hear this all the time. But according to the HRC Foundation, there are more than 2 million transgender people in the United States. We live in every community across this country. You might be surprised to hear that there are more transgender and non-binary people in the United States than there are. Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart locations combined. In fact, if you put us all together, there'd be more non-binary and transgender folks than the populations of DC, or Nebraska, or Maine, or Idaho, or West Virginia. As a matter of fact, 15 states have a lower population than the amount of trans folks in the U.S. So here are a few things to keep in mind. You don't always know when a person is trans. But we're your neighbors, your co-workers, your students, your customers, and even your friends and family. We exist in every culture. You are tuned into KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, on K282BH Flamath on 104.3 FM, K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM and streaming on web at kboo.fm. What does the average kboo listener think of self help radio? This is so 